Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I'm Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. Bronco, another special guest this week, former Boise State and Auburn head coach Brian Harson, And most importantly, Brian, somebody who understands how to spell the name Brian. Thank you so much for jumping on with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We got that in common. Yeah, glad that to we- be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, well, thrilled to have you back on. And uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, you you got let go by Auburn there. And I know that's always a difficult time, but it sounds like you're back in Boise. And I I know the coaching bug never escapes you. It it sounds like you're kind of giving your your son pointers. Like, like what's been happening the last couple of months for you? Yes. So, yeah, trying to give him pointers. Um, His team right now, so he's at Eagle High School. And they are 9-0. They have a bye this week. Uh, and then they get into playoffs. So they just won a district championship, and he plays quarterback there. Um, they're doing an excellent job. And so, you know, I've been able to enjoy that. I mean, that's really been our football fix uh, with our family is just through him. So it's been awesome. And even last year at Auburn High School, they made it to the state championship. And he uh, uh, he was splitting time with the quarterback there, but did a great job. Tremendous coaches, awesome year. Um and kind of on that same run right now. So uh, I think he listens to me a little bit every now and then. Um, I think the coaches have allowed me to to kind of be a part of it, um, you know, whenever there's questions, right? I mean, I, I don't try to interject too much, but if they have a question or if I can be a, a part of a solution maybe, uh, I get to do that. But you know what? We got our seats at the very top of the bleachers with our family and friends and it's been awesome to just be up there and and just watch him and and be a part of it in a different way. So, you know, so far so good, and we'll see what happens in the state championship run. So as you've had that experience, I'm wondering if it's changed your perspective at all regarding uh, how you'd go about when you return to college football, right? How you'd go about doing it uh, again or differently if it would be different now that right you're coaching your son and so number one maybe the first question is sure. do you find yourself coaching or suggesting or try to influence him different than maybe players that you're coaching and then the question maybe the second question is now that you're sitting in the stands and watching a son play uh does that change your perspective maybe as you consider re-entry then what that would look like yeah good question um i'll tell you what doesn't change is my feeling towards officials at times. All right. Sitting up in the stands. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and I say that, you know, jokingly, um, but I get to sit up there with all the, the parents, which, you know, that part's been different. We, you know, we get together before the games uh, because of my background. I, I get a lot of questions um, of what I think about our team or, you know, even their sons, like how do they go on and play at the next level? You know, what do they need to do? And like any parent, you know, in recruiting, you know, how does how does my son go about um, trying to continue to keep playing? And I really love that to share some just of, you know, yes. my advice on, all right, here's some other options. You know, it's not always going to be division one. It's not always going to be that some of the programs everybody knows about. But if he really loves football, here's some great options. Um and why it's important to continue on to be a part of a team, I think, is is something that, um, you know, I've tried to share with the families where it's not just about him playing. It's about what he gets to be a part of for the next four years of his life. And I just think that's something that, 
you know, being a part of it myself as a player, coaching, um, running a program, there's nothing like it. Uh, it. It's special is the best way that I can put it. And, you know, watching my son, the perspective I get is just, um, you know, there's a lot of things that <clears throat> you miss along the way. And I, I say that because my family's always been a part of, of what we've done. This is a family business. And I think I learned that at a young age that they're going to be included. I, I don't know about balance. I'm not sure that really exists, um, yeah. but they're going to be a part of it. They're going to be around as much as they can. They're going to be included. They're going to be in the locker room when they can. They're going to be on the sideline uh, before games at practice. And, <clears throat> you know, watching my son, uh, I, I got a better perspective of what the parents feel like. I can tell you that. And even as a coach, you know, when he would get pulled out for some play or something like that, like I know what the coaches are doing. I know why they're doing it. At the same time, you're still a parent and you get that feeling that, you know, why is it happening to my kid? And that's where I really took a step back and it was like, you know what? Every single one of the players that I've coached, their family, I know how they feel about them. You know, we get in, we just get going and we're, we're coaching, we're, we're teaching these guys every single day. We see them in practice. We see them in the weight room. We see them uh, in the classroom. And <clears throat> you just keep jumping into coach mode all the time. And you know what? Their families, they come to games. They don't see all those things. They just see what's going on that Saturday. And and I felt that same way, you know, just as a parent, like um, I think the communication is really would be something now with the parents that as a head coach, you, you got to do a great job of that. And I think just a simple like, you know, you can you can shoot a letter out. You can um, take more time after games or, you know, different opportunities, maybe in the off season that I thought we did a good job of uh, at Boise and. Uh, and Auburn trying to communicate with with the families, you know, just what's going on, you know, so they know. And um, that's an area where, you know, with my son being in the position that he's in, he's going to go on and play at Idaho State. He's committed there. And Cody Hawkins is the head coach. And I yeah. worked for Dan Hawkins. I recruited Cody Hawkins. And, you know, I just see, you know, the a, a different a different perspective now of um, his opportunities. And, where I can come in now with my experience, I can help him. I can, I can give him some advice, but I'm not really there to coach him. And, and, and I learned that probably about five years ago with him. Uh, I tried to coach him and I said, Hey, look, right now I'm going to be coach. You're going to be player. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. You know, I'm still dad. And, mm -hmm. and what he wants, cause he's a pretty driven kid. Um, he just wants me to support him. And I told him, look, after I kind of failed at that experiment, I said, if you want my advice, you come to me and I will give it to you. And I will, I will give you what I think. Um, and I'm going to support you and be there for you. And I think that formula has worked well because he still likes me and we have a good relationship. And I think he's, he's having success because you know, his mom and I and his sisters support him and we're there for him. And um, if he wants some advice from me, coaching wise, 
I'm there to provide it the best I can. It, it's this really strong point that, that you just made. And when someone asks for feedback, <laughs> right, their chance to receive it well and apply it immediately improves. And as you know, in the coaching world, uh, our job a lot of times is to provide feedback, whether it's wanted or not. Uh, but once yep. someone then asks for it, they're again, and their chance to receive it well um, and then apply it goes way up. And so I, I think what you just said, you know, framing the way um, and making yourself making it safe enough and you yourself accessible enough for players or people to ask for feedback, I think really is one of the masterful jobs of being a parent and a coach. And it sounds like you're you're kind of you found a solution, uh, at least in your family for that. <clears throat> well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> you know, and. You know, you know, my, you know, Bronco, you know, this, um, he wants to coach. He, he's got that bug too. That, that's something that he's told me that he wants to go on. Well, he's told me he's going to go on and be a head coach and he'll hire me at some point. Uh, All right. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, you can come and work for me. And I'm like, that's great. But, um, <clears throat> so I, I think it's important right now as, as, he kind of develops himself as a player, but also just that mentality as a coach, because because if that's what he wants to do, I think that's what he's learning now. And, and you know, from my opportunities, I'm trying to impart some wisdom on him and share some experiences and let him grow and learn from that. He'll learn it from the coaches that he has in, in college as well. And then see what happens, you know, and see where, where he's able to take his career in the coaching profession. One of the other things you were mentioning earlier, and I think it's really cool that he's that clear already about what path he'd like to take. What a blessing and a gift that is that he he has that clarity. A lot of young people, as you know, they go through college and change majors two, three, four times. And even when they graduate, sure. they're still not sure what they want to do. And then maybe even when they get in the professional world, they end up not being sure if that's what it's for. So I think that clarity is is really cool. Um, going back to the parent piece just for a second, especially at programs like Boise and at Auburn and, and really power, power five football in general, but maybe any organization, um, there are boundaries that have to be established, right? So you can coach and, and, uh, and the relationship between player coach can exist without uh, interference, I guess would be maybe the, the right word or sometimes even input. And so I think one of the, one of the yeah. things is, is where and how to establish the boundaries um, because as you toggle back and forth between communicating with players, communicating with parents, and then also meeting the bottom line expectations and winning and mm -hmm. having to play who you think are the best players, um, literally you could spend a lot of your day um, communicating with parents and now third parties about who they represent and what decisions sure. are made and why. And so I think what you're talking earlier is kind of a, maybe maybe it's always been relevant but maybe more so even now, as you're saying, you've had a taste from the parent side a little bit more um, and what you would do different. I felt the same thing. And I have two sons that have served missions for our faith and the mission presidents that are communicating to us as parents. This is the next transfer. This is where he's going. This is what's happening. Wow, right. does my wife love knowing what's going on? And there's not a direct back and forth, but there is communication coming so we're aware and uh i would change as as i return to college fo coaching i would change that the amount of communication <laughs> of just what's happening why it's happening um and occasionally having back and forth dialogue when it's warranted with parents 
right? If, if there's something that's, that's significant. Sure. But I think you've touched on an issue that it's just fun for me to hear your your take on that. You know, what I think has changed a lot is, you know, people do, you're talking about third parties and parents. Um, you know, they don't want to talk to the chief of staff. They want to talk to the coach if there's something they need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and go back several years when Chris Peterson was the head coach, right? We'd always have the families come in during the spring game. Mm-hmm. And we'd have everybody in there, everybody that made it. And we do a little parent meeting and we talk to him and he would always tell him, Hey, look, this is what we're doing for your sons. Uh, and also I'm not going to talk to any of you about playing time, right? I'm going to talk to you about what we're doing with, with their lives. And it was kind of in a joking way, but he was serious as well. Yeah. Yeah. And when I worked for Mac, Mac was great because he'd always have us as coaches have all the players cut ups ready to go. If there was something that they wanted to sit down with their parents and be like, why am I not playing? Well, let's go through it. And so there was an actual evaluation of it. And when I was at Boise, what I thought uh, we did a good job of is in the off season, I would do a monthly letter to the parents. And it was just an update. Like this is what happened. Here were some highlights that, you know, Johnny was the, the academic guy for the week or the month. Um, here was a few highlights in the weight room. Here's a few things that we're working on. And really, to your point, it was just about communicating. And it wasn't there wasn't like a lot of uh, information in there. But it was important that they had something, you know, in their kids lives coming from the coaches, because, you know, how those conversations go, you call your your son or your daughter up. How's it going? Good. Okay. Um, what happened today? Nothing. And so I know that, and I would tell our players that I go, I know when you talk to your, your, your families, this is how the conversation goes. So that was why we put that together. Um, the parents really appreciated it. Once we got into the season, we didn't do it because we saw the parents each week, right? Yeah. Most of them. And to your point, yeah, I think communication is is an advantage. Yeah. And if done right, you know, you can you're not going to solve all the problems, but at least they know as a coach where you're coming from and why you're doing what you're doing. And there'll still be questions on it. And you to your point, Bronco, if there's something important like that you need to sit down, then as a head coach, that's the first thing you do. Yeah. And you and I both know you walk into the office and you kind of have your plan for the day. You're ready to go. You want to sit down and watch the film, do whatever. And bang, there's a note, yeah. a message. Yeah. And that may not be what you want to deal with, but that could be the most important conversation you have with that person ever. And you've got to be on your game and you've got to be able to handle it immediately. So they can move on, you can move on, and whatever the issue is, you can get that solved. And um, and there is, there's just more of that now than ever because the players have more, I think, going on in their lives um, and the expectations as well. So you just have more people that are communicating with them. You should do this, this, and this. And you got to go through not just one layer, but several layers to really get the problem solved. Yeah, I, I think that, so many things that you just mentioned and i think it's one of the things and i can't speak completely to this as i've never coached at the professional level 
But I think that the relations and the relational component of college football is one of the things that makes it so special. So the relations right. with the position coach, the relations with the coordinator and the head coaches that do it well, the, the true relations with the head coach. And I think those change the perspective mm. and the experience of an individual in your program. And it's one of the reasons certainly that they would stay. And in today's climate, uh, what we're talking about, I think maybe almost doubles down on importance. Uh, and to your point that I don't think there was a day in my 17 years of being a head coach where I showed up with my calendar and my agenda, which was really well, it's color coded and sequenced and right down to the second. I don't think I ever had a day where I actually followed it because as you said, you walk in and there's a note on your desk or there's a, a phone call that happens and you have to pivot immediately. And, and it was one of the reasons that I, I quit calling plays defensively um, just to do some of those other things. And you could argue that's not the competitive work, but it is work that has to be done. And to your point, the parents or others don't want the DFO on the other end. They're not looking for an executive assistant on the other end. And there are plenty of situations that reach a certain threshold where it is head, head coach only that can quite frankly handle right. it. And so um, that, that, kind of, that kind of always on, I think is what you said, or always ready. Um, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. But I think where and where you're leaning as as I am as well, it can be used to your advantage. You've done well, it can distinguish your program in a manner um, that actually draws others to it and and then keeps people sure. with you because of that and how well it's done. Oh, I agree. I, I think so. Yeah, to you to your point now, because of all because of the portal, because of NIL, because of all the options. You you got to have relationships with with really everybody in your program, and to, you know there's there's 200 plus people as a head football coach you're responsible for it, and something's going to happen to yeah. somebody and several people, and in those conversations, you know how how people in your program feel valued and valuable is to me the most important thing, yeah. right? It doesn't really matter. It's not the salary. It's not the title. It's just um, it's not even the starting position that someone might have. It's they, they want to feel valued and valuable. And I think personally, I've, I've, I've done a good job of that at times and I've done a poor job of that at times. Yeah. And to your point, you know, with the scheduling, and that's one area that I think you have to be the very best at now mm-hmm. more than ever. And you know, we, we're doers. I think that's one thing as coaches, right? Like you're, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm the tight end coach. I'm a doer. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. I become the coordinator. I'm a doer. I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm going to call plays. I'm going to game plan. I'm going to put things together. And then you become the head coach. And now you got to lead. You know, you got to be responsible. You got to be a leader. You got to be somebody that, now you've got to see the big picture and all the doing goes back to your coaches. Like that's their responsibilities now. And um, you got to get out of your chair. You got to walk around the building. You got to pop your head in. You got to be around campus. Sometimes even, you know, if you're going to do a class check, um, you get out there and do it yourself. If that's something that you're emphasizing and, um, and there's all these other things you have to do mm-hmm. recruiting, making sure your staff meetings are set up, your practice plans are done. But 
what's the most important thing in your program? It's your people. And so, um, and, and I think players, you know, they want to be around someone that is going to develop and push them and all that, but there, there's got to be a relationship component to it as well. And um, I see that now more than ever, you know, having this time to step away and, <clears throat> and, and reevaluate so many things. Why were we good? Why did we have success? Why were, were the teams that I was a part of um, having this year after year type of success? Um, what came back to the relationships, the leadership, um, how Dan Hawkins ran the program, how Chris Peterson ran the program, how Mac Brown did it, uh, some of the things that I did well during times and um, and that's it. And so uh, I think as a head coach now more than ever, I mean, those are the things you got to focus on. And these guys that call plays, Ryan Day and how guy, you know, it's um, that's an incredible task, you know, yeah. and 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 they're successful at it, too. And, you know, I admire that, um, knowing how much other things they have on their plate to do to keep to keep that program uh, running the way they want it to. Yeah. And I think it all, it's very well said and, and really articulated comprehensively the way you just presented it. And back to the point of, you know, everyone wanting to, to feel needed or important um, or valued. Uh, I, I always just held the, this thought of everyone wants to be needed and wanted. And those are two separate mm -hmm. things. And, mm -hmm. and that leads to the value. But really the fulfillment of all of us come when you find a place where someone really needs you. But more importantly, they actually want you. And and right. man, if, if everyone in your program can feel that way, uh, there, there's a different um, way that players and people carry themselves because they feel appreciated and they feel important and and necessary where what they do matters. And sure. I think that leads to significance, which as you and I kind of sit and look at the game from these unique perspectives we currently have, one of those things that's different is the significance from being a head football coach with all of those things on your plate to now being able to digest kind of what we're talking about. That's a, that's a different, that's a different feeling. I'm wondering sure. as you go back and maybe you did something like this uh, and the, <clears throat> the folks on our podcast have heard this before at, at Virginia, I, I kind of stumbled into an idea to this point that we're talking about. And I, I ended up calling it office hours, but I would just sit. So before, when you came off, the practice field, um, the doors to the locker room. We had we had benches on each side where players were taking off their cleats and taking off their gear. And I would usually get there first, and I would just sit on one of the benches that went right mm. by. It was right next to the door to go into the locker room, and I would just sit. Sure. And I would sit there until the very last player would enter. And it was amazing how many times, when the last player entered, someone else would circle back outside <clears throat> and come sit down, and others would sit next to me as they were going in and we'd visit and have a conversation. Uh, but so back to the schedule, rather than calling it office hours and being in the corner office, you know, overlooking all the stuff with your glass windows and your bookcases and they have to go past your executive secretary, just sitting there and being available every day uh, for whomever organically wanted to sit and talk. <clears throat> I think it sure. really headed off so many things that maybe were becoming distorted in a player's mind of his role or maybe an issue. And I think mm -hmm. that's, you, you brought the point out earlier, man, if, if you're available and can head those things off before they fester and before they become distorted and before they amplify, um, same with parent maybe, right? And I found that who would have guessed just by sitting next to the door, going,
going into the locker room every day after practice and just sitting there until the last player and the last person went in. And then what I learned, I used to get up when the last player would go in. And then I learned, no, 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 just wait. And so I'd sit out there about a half hour right. longer and there would be four yep. or five or six that would, they would, they would change or they would come back out and just say, hey, coach, you got a second. And so just the accessibility was another way to reflect um, that I cared about them, which I, who would have guessed that just something like that would have really mattered. And I'm wondering as you, as you had your players at, at two different programs, right. And distinct, not only in, in history, but parts of the country and the cultures that probably existed around the programs. Did you see sure. differences in, uh, I don't know how to say this exactly, the type of young men or, or differences of what they were interested in um, from you, right, as a head coach at Boise and then as a head coach at Auburn? Did you find your roles different because of either the place or the type of kids? And I don't know, I would I'd love to hear about the yeah. contrast. No, great question. And to, to your story, one of the things when I became the head coach at Arkansas State, <clears throat> I forgot about that one. We would, yeah. Well, so so my first head coaching job, and and <laughs> you know, you know nothing, right? You think you know, and you realize you know nothing. But one of the things that we did, and we decided this as a staff, we had talked to our players, right? We didn't want them coming in after practice, jumping right on their phones, right? We talked about, look, you should take five minutes to reflect, good or bad day. Not just jump on Instagram and all of a sudden just try to, you know, uh, forget what just happened in practice, but really take time. And, and also, too, don't jump on Twitter or Instagram and like oh. post something right right yeah. afterwards. It's just like give your time to yourself some time to think. And so we always encourage that. We also did as a staff, we would go in there in the locker room. And that was our time. You know, if you coached a player hard, go make it right. Yep. If someone did something you didn't quite get to him go in there and let them know uh in a good way you know hey that was a great run great catch that was a great pursuit <clears throat> that you had whatever it was and so you know as, as as coaches too we tried to go in there and and just take five minutes be available be around and make sure that hey after practice we asked him to go in there and, and put a lot of effort into what they just did let's go pat them on the back or make it right and leave that locker room uh in a positive way so we tried to always do that yeah um <clears throat> and so i think that's important and you you sitting there and being available uh and you know this when, when someone hey you got a second it's never a second but they need something and i, I think that's a great way of doing it just to sit there and be available I, I mean i love that and i think that's something that you know certainly as I, I sit there and listen to you you tell me how you went about it i mean i would incorporate that now you stand in the field and hang out and talk to coaches but it's, it's different sitting there and just being available that's a different it's just different for the players right you're yeah, not just and, and out takes, there yeah and it takes i think it takes courage for a young person to approach the head coach right and, and, right. and that's usually, I think, why they start with, hey, do you have a second? Because they realize there's, there's an importance there and the head coach has other stuff to do. But just for them to say that is, is a pretty strong signal of everything else has to go away right now. There's something that this, this person, right, sure. needs 
to, to, to needs our help with, which is really the main purpose of coaching anyway, which I, I know that's not um, total reality because of the bottom line component that you and I know right. drives everything and the finance that comes with it. But along the way, right, the how we do our job, I think those moments in the locker room so that players leaving with a pep in his step or encouraged if he's had a rough day. Um, and it was really funny. And I don't know if it was like this for you, but that happened organically. I didn't, I didn't just sit there intentionally thinking, Hey, sure. I need better relationships on the team. It was just something. And I don't even remember exactly how it started other than I started to pay attention. You know, if I sit here, well, that, well, that was a great conversation. Maybe I'm going to sit longer tomorrow. And then it just kind of grew right. and, and who knows, right. you know, but, Anyway, right. Um, well, and and to your question, right? The different programs. Yes. So you know every every program I've I've been a part of, uh, in Texas included. Mm-hmm. You know what I would say the the environment, uh, the expectations that are are surrounding that program, those are different. Yeah. Um, the amount of coverage. Uh, so to speak, right, um, that those programs have are different. What really didn't change were the players. And I know everybody says they're all 18 to 23 years old, which is true. But everything we're just talking about, that's what every player wants. Mm-hmm. They still want those same things. They still uh, they want to be valued and valuable. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to um, be able to have those conversations. They're insecure. They're young people. They're trying to figure out their lives. They all know that they're potentially an injury away from having to do something else, or maybe they don't make it to the NFL. And the realities, there's really those realities that we all know. They know it too. Now, they're, it's not their job to come out and talk about it because they're trying to make their way. They're trying to establish themselves and, um, and, and, and take advantage of the experience they're having. And hopefully if they have that dream of going on and playing at the next level, getting their degree, all the things that come with being a college football player, that should be their focus. And I would tell them all the time, like, look, you guys are young. You got all the stamina and energy and all that. Go for it. There is nothing you can accomplish. And I always wanted to set that mentality in our program with everybody. Like, yes, you can. There's ways you're going to have to go about doing it, but if this is what you want, then be very clear on that vision and let's figure out a plan. Like let's reverse engineer it, get the vision and let's build the plan to get you there. But no, as far as the players go, no, yeah, they weren't. Um, they all wanted the same things. They just, they wanted to be coached. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be a part of something. Um, and I think to our point earlier, I think, you know, what's made it harder is just, there's so much, there's so much more surrounding the player right now, uh, because the most beautiful thing in a, in a football program is inside those walls. When you have those players in that team room and and you're able to share a message with them, or your assistant coaches can share a message with them, or another player can share a message with them. There's nothing more powerful than that. Once you leave that building, there's just so many other factors now um, that that creep into your program that you have to do a, a tremendous job of making sure that those things with your players are understood, that they'll impact us in certain ways and they have to be disciplined. They've, they've got to do a great job of 
uh, of really helping out the program. Um, and then that's hard. It's not easy. Like it sounds like, well, I just forget the noise. Like you can't do that uh, because it impacts them. And, and sometimes it can be really uh, difficult on them. So it, it, the players have not been different um, yeah. at all. The environments have been different. And that's the, that's the part that you as a coach have to adapt mm-hmm. and, and kind of know just, all right, what are you getting into? What's, what's the environment? Um, because the players have an expectation too, that you're going to know certain things about that program and team and, and what the expectations are. So you better bring some things differently uh, in order for everyone to have success. But when it comes down to it, you know, you're still developing young men and you're still trying to help them, you know, live their dreams and, and achieve their goals at the end of the day. Yeah. It's really insightful. It's it's it was fun to hear you talk about the environment and the external factors and in, in warfare. Sometimes when an opponent is closing on um, uh, on your your fortress, right? You'd hear the words they're at the gates. And yes. you mentioned, you know, the, the the beauty is within the walls of your own program. I think what's difficult now is um, with technology, the enemy sometimes not the enemy opposition sometimes is within your walls, meaning the access to the messaging, the external messaging is now in your building. And that messaging isn't always positive and it isn't always favorable toward either you as the head coach or maybe how you're performing, where sometimes your program walls were the safe haven. Once you were inside those walls, right? No other messaging could get to you. Now, right. There's, there's some other challenges where the messaging can kind of be with you no matter where you are. And, Mm-hmm. And back to the, the external environment and the influences. Uh, so I inherited a program at Brigham Young University. I was an assistant coach and was elevated. And wow, did I have a good idea already of what some of the issues were, what some of the things were that needed to be addressed. Now, how to do it, I hadn't been a head coach before, so I'm not saying that, but I had a pretty good idea of what the climate was like. When I left right. to go to Virginia, it took me an entire year. And a year we went, we won two games and lost 10. That, that first year was nothing other than discovery. What, what is this place? What, what are these issues? How, how mm-hmm. did this happen? And, and then after year one, year two really became what I thought would be year one where we were postseason eligible and, and then we went forward. But it took me almost a year of discovery. What, you're, what you just mentioned, though, is real. When you're hired now at a new place, you're expected to come in with the answers specific to that program <laughs> And to have it addressed and addressed in a really short time frame, right? And and basically the results are expected to be immediate. Um, and if not, year two, there better be more immediacy to the results. And if that ha- hasn't happened about halfway through year three, your tenure might be over before it really gets going. And so I'm wondering, because of all your history right. at Boise, if that helped you kind of like it. I feel like it helped me at BYU. And then if there were things when you went to Auburn that was like, wow, I wish I would have known that was part of this. Um, or do you feel like, you know, taking over a new program, you had a good idea? Because I did not when I went to Virginia. Again, it took me about a year. <clears throat> yeah, no, you're you're spot on, Bronco. When I came back to Boise State as the head coach, I had recruited most of those players that were there. I knew the culture. Yes. And when I came, when, when Chris left, went to Washington, Boise State was eight and five that season. 
and, and that wasn't the standard and everybody knew that. And so when I had my first team meeting with them, that was one of the messages is this is not the standard. Yes. And so, and, and not to point fingers at anyone, it was just, that was the reality of the situation. They all knew it. I knew it. We didn't have to yeah. spend more time on it and let's go to work. Let's go do what we do. Let's, and I, we didn't even change the messaging, right? I mean, I, the one thing when Chris hired me and Justin Wilcox, when he became the head coach, mm-hmm. we, we all three were kind of saying the same things and we were all pointed in the same direction. And then eventually Justin and I just, we, we adopted everything Pete was saying as the head coach, like that's the message period, end of story. It doesn't matter. O and D we want to say something different. We're all going to say the same things and bang, we were going, mm-hmm. uh, it was, we were so aligned that when you yes. walked in that building every day, I mean, it was the work, uh, the things that we were able to get done on a day-to-day basis, the practice, all that. It just, it flowed perfectly in a, in a lot of ways. And so when I came back to Boise, it was really the same thing. I wasn't, I mean, I believed everything that Pete was doing. There wasn't something when I walked in there and, and uh, you know, cause always the last coach, right? There, you go to a high school, I recruited high schools, the same school for several years. There'd be a new coach and he would tell me the last coach didn't know how to lift. They didn't know how to run. They didn't know how to, I'm like, yes, they did. Yeah. All right. Um, so we went in there and it was like, let's get to work. And then, and I understood the culture and the expectations and the environment. Yes. Fast forward when I went to Auburn to your point, um, when you come into a whole new environment a whole new situation, um, obviously they were struggling. That's why they made a coaching change. That's why they wanted somebody new to come in there. But it's not just about X's and O's and the players. You can evaluate that. You can get the film and look under the hood and be like, okay, we got enough safety depth. We got good tailbacks or quarterback situation, whatever. It's everything else that that program had experienced that you were never a part of and you still have those players that were, you still have some staff that were, and you're hearing all the stories of why they believe the change was made. Yeah. And so you're hearing stories about a player, about a staff member, about what really they thought happened. And you're trying to really decipher what's true, what's not, what's emotional, what's fact, what's factual. And there is no, now the, to your point, you need a zero year, but that's yeah. not the reality anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get a zero year. <laughs> you, don't. you don't. That's just, and, and look, um, that is the reality of, of where, you know, just the expectations are. Uh, and I think for everybody, not just, you know, the power five programs, I think it's for everyone now. Yeah. And so much information's coming in. You're also trying to install your program. You're also trying to get your offense, defense, special teams, and the actual football component installed to the expectations that you have as a head coach, the standards of how we do things, the yep. accountability, the sacrifice it takes, yep. all the things that you don't know exactly what happened prior to your, your being there. Um, and you're figuring it out as you go. So that was the biggest challenge. You know, it's, it's much easier when you know the environment, when you know the, the culture, when you know what you're getting into versus 
all the other factors. And then once that starts to come together, now you start to fine tune. And with that, you start to get some pushback on, well, that's not how we did it. Mm-hmm. And the message back is, well, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a challenge in itself where there's some things at, at certain places are, that are going to be changeable. And there's some things that aren't, there's some non-negotiables yeah. too. And that's the other part that I learned along the way of there's just some things that are always going to be a part of this and you have to, you have to adapt. Yep. You have to adapt. Um, yep. And that can be challenging too, because it might not fit exactly what you've done. And so uh, like we tell our players, I, I would say this, what I've learned, like we tell players in recruiting fit is extremely important. Um, you really want to know the expectations and goals, right. Of where you're going to be. So, you figure out how do you fit into that? And, but at, you know, at the end of the day, um, you can go out there and have success and, and, and you can win, which I've always felt this way, right? When you win, the things that you're talking about become much more believable. And then the expectations mm-hmm. all of a sudden are, this is what we do to have the type of success we're having. And then everybody buys in that whole buy-in concept. And then you can really, really go establish the things that you need um, in order to grow your program the way you want to. So, you know, you got to like to your point, Bronco, I mean, it's it's not a playground. It's a battleground. Totally. And you have to go find ways to have success on the football field, too, to show not just your fans and not just people that support the program, your players, your coaches, that what we're doing works. Yes. And when you're able to do that, you know, there's more buy-in and, and you're going to, yeah. you're going to get more people listening to your message and, and what you're, well, what it, you're trying to go out there and promote. It's, it's really well said. And, and uh, I think you expressed that in a way that makes it, it so transparent and understandable. Uh, and the reality is right. Winning builds credibility, not only for the leader, but the right. methods. And, and I, I do believe, right. That culture um, precedes performance, like how we're going to do this, that has to all be addressed. And then your schemes come into play. However, the, the glue that binds all that or that generates momentum is the outcome, which is the success. And that lends credibility to the methodologies. Um, and if there's a delay in the outcomes that are yielding the right result, why does that stress the leadership and the culture and the questions of how come, or we used to do it this way, right? There's friction mm-hmm. points that are in there the whole time. And the head coach lives with that. And you can feel it and sense it. And I think one of the things that you mentioned, the adaptability, I think one of the things that the leaders, gosh, that, that might have the most to do with a leader being able to stay or not stay in any given circumstance is, is making the assessment, do I need to adapt to this? Is this changeable or not changeable? Right. <laughs> right. And the not changeables, right you have to adapt to the changeables you don't need to adapt to. They need to adapt to you. Right. And so, right. And so some of us are stubborn, right. And some of us, yep. um, it's hard to have that worldview and the, and the wider lens. And sometimes we miss on, we adapt too quickly to what didn't need to be adapted to where that needed to adapt to us in our way. And sometimes we adapt too slowly to things that it, at that place, at that time, that's not changeable. And we need to adapt. And so that little interplay right there, when I heard you talk about that, 
I, I, I understand that, that, that came back to life to me pretty quickly. Yeah. You're, you're spot on. I mean, that's, that's what I think successful leaders do is they figure that formula out, especially when you're coming into something new, right? CEO, football coach, um, employee, new environment, you know, there, we all have things that, that we believe in. That's why we ascend and that's why we, you know, we're able to get some other opportunities. And I don't know if you said, you know, some of these are non-negotiables, right? Here's what we believe in, right? We want to have smart, hungry, humble people. We got to, we got to talk about trust and integrity, accountability and sacrifice. Our football team, when you watch them on the field, I want them to see a disciplined, tough team that has conviction and believes in each other. So you can, you can talk about all those things, but to your point, when it doesn't work right away and you've seen it work at other places, when do you start to make that shift? When is it, all right, maybe it's not discipline. Maybe it's more accountability. When do you start making that transition from some of the things that you've really believed in for a lot of years and established and no works that may not be working where you're at right now. And that's, that's what I mean by, you know, you got to adapt. And I think that's where it comes back to your people in your program. There's two things. There's two things that really helped me as a head coach after every season back in 2015, we started doing this. We would start at eight in the morning end about six 30 at night and have lunch, but the entire staff, trainers, equipment, we all did a, what did you learn? And we would just start and it was no, there was nothing like a question. I would start with maybe our defensive coordinator and they could say whatever was on their mind. And you would get the most random things that you never thought about as a head coach that someone would would say, like the color of our socks, whatever it was, the schedule, we didn't hit enough. We didn't do this. And we went through that for the entire day. What did you learn? And so that really helped me listen to the staff And here, no matter what it was, as wild as it could have been sometimes, and we'd be like, okay, I had no idea how we're going to do that, but I got to hear them and figure out how we could make some of those tweaks. And then the end of spring ball, when the, when spring ball was over, uh, I would start about seven 30 in the morning into about five 30 each day, Monday through Friday, I met with every single player and they had like 17 questions. Do you feel a part of things? Um, do you feel like what I'm doing is helping you? Um, tell me, you know, what does your coach do really well? So there was a series of questions and, and they got to grade their coach as well. And there was always be the last question is tell me something I need to know that I don't know. Yep. And it gave me a chance to sit in there for about 30 to 40 minutes with each player and just one-on-one have them tell me as a head coach, what can I do better? And what can we do better to help you to be successful? And when that was done, I would rank everything. I would go back to our trainers, our strength staff, our coaches, and say, here's what they said. And then this is how we're going to move forward in the summer with their messaging of this is what we need to do. So that also helped as a leader adapt to some of the things that you you're just blind that you're missing that the players are like our food is terrible <laughs> right? 
And you're totally. like, well, all right. All they care about is not having this certain sandwich. They want this after a game. Well, if that's what's going to make them happy. And at the end of the day, like with your players, if they're happy, they're going to perform better. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's simple as that. If they're happy, they're going to go out there and, and put the effort in uh, and, and do all the things you're asking them to do. So I thought those two things really helped. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but it takes time. Like that's not just yeah. something that it takes time because when you get into a new program, they don't know you. They don't really even know yeah. what the standards and expectations are completely. And you're asking them for, you know, some things, not just for them necessarily, but for our program and, and for them to, to better everybody involved. Yeah. Uh, and how do we go about doing that? So uh, I think it's a great formula. It just takes time mm-hmm. to get that just right dialed in to where everybody knows, all right, We've all had an impact on on the the program as far as the direction that we're headed. We've all got a chance to say what we needed to say. Now let's go out there and execute the things that that uh, we're being asked to do. And I, I love it. And those are great examples of two uh, more formal processes or practices that a leader and coach and Brian was doing. That number one, the environment he created was a safe place for people to say what they wanted to say, because they won't unless it's safe. Right. If there's if there's right. a risk that what they say is going to. So he created a safe place for everyone to say it really listened. And then and then I think credibility and trust is built with then applying. And wow, do people wait to see what you're going to do after they say something like that? And if, if all of a sudden or, or if, if, if the outcome of that is a different postgame meal on the bus after a game, it's amazing how smiles start to come and nudges of hey, coach coach hooked us up. Like he, he heard what we were saying mm-hmm. that there's, there's a relationships that are built that way. And man, I just really appreciate you sharing. And I think so much of what you just shared will be applied by our listeners and just other ways to think about what to do, not only the formal ways, but the informal ways daily of how to apply the same thing and just your time, insight, expertise. It's been really appreciated. So I'm going to turn it back over to Brian and we never know at this point, what what brian's gonna say so be ready because so um yeah back to you brian yeah well i i was just gonna ask i mean usually i'll i'll bring up that you guys played each other quite a bit uh you know there, there's a familiarity on on this podcast going offense versus defense how, how annoying is it to just play against bronco and, and that defense of his oh my goodness well let, let's go back what you were there in at byu in 2003 as a defensive coordinator uh, i was the tight ends coach they're dropping know, five safeties, somebody down from I don't know where out of helicopters and coming out of holes in the ground. And uh, it was a snowy, icy game there. Um, and that was really, you know, my first introduction to you know, just the chaos on defense, which is really difficult. And then, you know, we got to compete against each other for a long time. The one thing you know, with, with, with Bronco, not just our competitions. We had, we had some, some great games um, at BYU when he was there. And, and uh, you know, that program I've got so much respect for. We've had to play him at Boise every year. And, you know, they're, they're a, a tough football team that I thought was very much like us. Just the way that they were built. Um, we knew we were going to be in for a four-quarter game. And you never knew what was going to happen. And we had some crazy games against them. Uh, but I've always, you know, and with Bronco, you know, I don't know if I've, I've never told him this. I've always just admired how he's handled himself. And and there's there's just certain coaches that obviously Chris 
Peterson's had a huge impact on me. Dan Hawkins, Mac Brown, um, even Dirk Cutter. When I had a chance to play for him, I, I, I owe so much of the things that I've been able to do in my career to them. But then there's also people that you don't have that type of relationship with where you're working for them, but you watch. And Bronco was one of them. And I always just admired the way he handled himself and his programs. And I thought the same thing probably everybody did when he went to Virginia, like, you know, what's he doing? And, <laughs> and then to watch, you know, but that's what you, you know, when you follow people and you, and you respect them and you admire how they do things, you watch the moves they make and you, you want to learn from it. Like what, what are they doing? And I've always, I've always felt that way about Bronco. And, um, and so, you know, it was, it was one of those opportunities when you coach against somebody, you know, you're going to get, you're going to play in a really challenging football game, but you're also going to get somebody you have a lot of respect for and how they do things. And so um, I remember when, when Bronco <clears throat> paused and stepped away, I was on the road recruiting in Texas and I got the news. I reached out to him and we had a short conversation, but he said, you know what? I'm, I'm in my office. I've had a chance to sit and talk with my players because I would be doing exactly what you're doing right now. I'd be on the road. I'd be doing all those things, you know, travel wise. And he goes, I've really just had a great, cause they're going to play in a bowl game and he was still coaching in the bowl game. And, um, I've just had a great time with my players and being able to have a chance just to talk with them. And I just, I felt that at that time as well, when we got off the phone, like good for him. You know, because I know that's so important in, in what we do. And we talk about relationships. Um, but I wanted to reach out because I wanted to know, you know, where he was coming from. Because Chris had stepped away. Bronco had stepped away. I mean, two people I admire. And as a head coach, you know, you want to get some perspective. And he was able to provide that and always has. And even on this podcast, when I listen to the coaches you have on here and, and to what you guys talk about, um, I'm learning something new every day. So, uh, yes, the football field, great games, great competitions, but more so I learn by doing these things and watching how someone operates and and then try to incorporate that into what I do and see you know if, if I can bring some of that um, into my world and some of the things that I do. So I've always appreciated that, Bronco, and um, I mean that and, and the way you handle yourself and, and um, you know everything you've done and, and being an ultimate competitor. But uh, just the way you've done it, I've always respected that. Thanks so much. And it's uh, the coolest thing about our chance. And and we had a conversation, uh, man, I don't know if you, it wasn't quite a year ago that was a great conversation on the phone and we were comparing notes just about <laughs> uh, the pauses that we and the stage of life we're in and the different learnings, which is uh, still so impactful to me. Um, but the... The, the value in you being able to watch your son right now and be a parent and experience without the other component of being a head co college coach, which is, is, is almost all encompassing. It's just short of that. Like it, it, it takes sure. almost everything and there's a little space left for you to have more space at this time while he's in that role. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just don't think you'll ever regret that. And I have no doubt you'll go back and you'll have and lead another great program and, I just like that, that. That's a non-starter for me. I just think that's going to happen. But in the meantime, I hope you can enjoy that part because, man, those are those are hard moments in life to get. Yeah, you're, so you're right. I just, and, it makes me smile to think about that. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that. We are. Yeah, Kess and I, um, my daughters, I've got two two daughters as well, Devin and Dane. Um, so we're all enjoying that. And uh, That's great. you know what? Life is, life's changing. Uh, I'm going to be a grandpa here <laughs> in, a, in a few months as well. And you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been tremendous. Um, and I'm, I do appreciate the opportunity and the time that we have. And then we'll see what happens moving forward. You know, there's always going to be a next thing. But to your point, Bronco, you know, this time right now, uh, I'm going to take advantage of it and just enjoy it. And uh, we certainly have so far. That's great. Well, th thanks again so much for being on. What a, what a great conversation. Just so fun to connect. And, and we just wish you all the best. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you guys. Absolutely. Well, we we certainly appreciate it. Best of luck being being dad. Hopefully, hopefully the state playoffs go well for for your son there. And uh, you know, down the road, you know, I'll hopefully I'll uh, connect with you with both your new ads at whatever gigs you got in the future. Hopefully, we can get a few more of those Bronco Brian uh, battles on the football field as well. So for Bronco Mendenhall and Brian Harson, I'm Brian Fisher. Thank you so much for tuning in for head coach. You make sure you give us five stars and on on the app. We we got some five star coaches on here. Might as well uh, rate us properly as well. Uh, we'll see you again next week.